Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Привет, мои друзья. Hello, my friends. Kristaps has done an amazing job creating an entertaining show covering the Eastern Bloc during the Cold War. If you're looking for an interesting new program on a totally different subject, check us out. We're the Iroquois History and Legends podcast. My brother and I tell the story of the Iroquois Confederacy. They were a Native American superpower that controlled and influenced much of the Northeastern United States. Their society and culture influenced the modern American Constitution and the women's suffrage movement. When you're done here, look us up. That's Iroquois, I-R-O-Q-U-O-I-S, Iroquois History and Legends Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, and many others. And now, without further ado, here is the man, the myth, the legend, Kristaps. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to this very special episode of the Eastern Border. But today, I want to speak about not the Soviet Union. What a surprise here. I would like to speak about tribes and tribal identities, and what does having a tribe actually means, and uh, how we over here still live through tribal identities now and then, and how we still celebrate our pagan holidays, and how all this lives through us. And I have invited here to join me in this conversation Andrew Cotter from Iroquois Myths and Legends podcast, because it's time for me to explain to you why we Latvians often feel very, very close to Native Americans and other tribes who were often oppressed and uh, whose interests were not taken into account. Because if you have listened to my podcast, you, you, you should understand by now that we over here in the Baltics, well, starting from the Northern Crusades and up until 1918 and then in the Soviet Union, well, we weren't really the top dogs of our territory, so to speak. So yeah, Andrew, uh, please tell us about yourself and, and then let, I'll have a few questions for you. Well, hello everyone and thank you so much, Kristaps, for inviting us on. Uh, my name is Andrew and my brother Caleb and I, we do Iroquois History and Legends podcast and we cover a specific group of Native Americans that lived in the Northeastern United States. And they're still around today, but we cover their whole history going from prehistory and right now we're in the mid-1700s and we hope to go all the way to modern day era. Uh, these people influenced 
North America, and especially the United States, unlike pretty much any other group of Native Americans. And I'm not going to bore you with all the facts. If you want to know all the facts, you can check out our show. But that just gives you an idea of where I'm coming from. You totally should check out the podcast. But firstly, um, I do this uh, this book readings for my Patreon supporters. I translate a book in uh, in, in English from, from Russian, a, a Russian diary, a journalist's final account. And on the episode which launched today, at the moment of this recording, there was an interesting kind of uh, quote there. Basically, uh, I will read this to you, and I would like to kind of show show the general attitude towards various things going on. Essentially, <clears throat> uh, in 2004, there was an act of terrorism in Russia, in St. Petersburg, very much similar to what happened recently uh, this year, 2017, where a bomb exploded in Metro. So, uh, I'll, I'll just read from this book, then, then I'll ask you to comment on this, about the general attitudes and understandings of, of um, how imperialistic powers view everyone else, essentially. <clears throat> An hour after the explosion, a statement was issued by the Movement Against Illegal Immigration, an organization in Russia created by the security forces. Basically, all of its members were either in Militia or in the FSB, their local F- FBI analog. Basically, the local organization against illegal immigration created by the police. Uh, it, its leader, Alexander Belov, back then declared, and you'll find this shocking, Andrew. <clears throat> Our first demand is to forbid Chechens to travel outside Chechnya. To this day, in the United States and Canada, there are special reservations set aside for awkward peoples. If an ethnic group does not want to live like civilized human beings, let them live behind the barrier. Call it what you like. A reservation. A pale. We need somehow to defend ourselves. We can no longer pretend that the Chechens, of whom the majority are linked in one way or another with the Chechen resistance, are citizens in the same sense as Chuvashes, Buryats, Karelians, or Russians. For them, this is a continuation of the war. They are taking revenge. They are st- the, the, the Chechen diaspora in Russia, including Chechen businessmen, are a hotbed of terrorism. I am only saying what 80% of Russians think. Wow, that sounds like a statement read by Americans 200 years ago. Yes, but uh, 2000, 2004, in Russia, basically, um, they wanted to put Chechens in reservations because they were considered subpar citizens. Because obviously you would only put terrorists in reservations. It's just great. Uh, and I, I, I read these are citizens of the Russian Federation. Yes. So they're not technically immigrants. No. Wow. So I wanted to start with this fact: the fact that uh, today I found out while translating that yes, yes, there are people in Russia who just think that. People like Native Americans were were put into reservations because apparently they were very very bad citizens of the United States and that they were terrorists. I found that extremely insulting because, uh, well, uh, my own people enjoyed seven hundred <coughs> enjoyed air quotes seven hundred years of serfdom, and we sometimes feel and our our nationalistically minded politicians sometimes describe, for example, you know, and I'm. Um, Going to politics straightforward, but uh, one of the arguments over here in Latvia against, you know, we have this refugee crisis in the EU, and a lot of arguments about the fact that why we are kind of against taking a lot of refugees in is the fact that, hey, the Western countries with their colonial policies really screwed up. And now we, country, we, the people who are finally in our own country, in our own territory, that, that we, we have to pay for this somehow... And for a lot of people here, it Latvia doesn't feel 
like the United States, it feels basically like a reservation just for Latvian people because we're like in the size of West Virginia and there's like two million of us. Something of that sort. And but this attitude about about this 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 is is varied. I just I just want to point out where 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 all of this kind of kind of comes from and how we feel about ourselves. But yeah, I want to ask you about the reservations. Uh, I don't know much about them, but this has been thrown uh, thrown about by our politicians, and now you heard Russian police officer organization saying something like this. So, what are reservations like? Are these arguments correct? What's going on? Well, there's different kinds of reservations all throughout uh, the United States and Canada, and the model of a reservation has changed over time. And some reservations can be huge tracts of area of land. Uh, some reservations, Kristaps, I think in New Mexico could be even larger than Latvia itself. So they're fairly large. Initially, they're exactly what you would initially think. You're like, oh, that sounds like a good word, reservations. We're reserving some land for you so that you don't lose it all. But Native American culture, a reservation was not giving them much else because Native Americans tended to use a lot of land when they were developing, especially in the Northeast, because they would hunt. And uh, I know that in Latvia you said that a lot of it is wooded areas, correct? Well, about 59% of Latvia are, are forests, yes. yes. So same with the Northeast, especially with the Iroquoian peoples. And so if you're on a reservation that is just maybe, let's say, 40 kilometers by 40 kilometers, there's not going to be a whole lot to hunt on there because the game is going to disappear very quickly. So once these reservations took over, it pretty much changed their whole way of life. And we also have an idiom in English where we talk about if somebody gets really upset or goes crazy, we say, oh, they've gone off the reservation. That goes back to talking about, you know, it's a negative stereotype talking about Native Americans when they would leave the reservation and that was not encouraged. It was you needed special permission to go off the reservation to go hunting because oh oh this 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 classical uh, crazy violent barbarian savage stereotype. Oh, I've I've got something from my end about this too. Carry on. So uh, modern day reservations in America tend to be very very poor. Technically, they are sovereign nations. So if I am to go down to the Seneca Nation of Indians and go down to one of their reservations. They have their own government set up. They are supposed to be exempt from taxes. I'm supposed to go in there and I buy something from them and I follow their rules that they have set up for their specific area. And so they are supposed to be autonomous nations within the United States. That being said, poverty, especially alcoholism, are huge, huge issues. And uh, there's a myriad of reasons. Uh, I think that you could probably chime in, and I could blame most of it on the federal government uh, for many of these issues, because whenever the government likes to get their hands into things, they tend to make things worse. Let me guess. Your people also... Well, not Iroquois people, I mean. Uh, uh, Andrew, this legal disclaimer here, Andrew is a fan of Iroquois. He's not Iroquois himself. Just so don't send him angry emails. But yeah, uh, I can understand that my, something similar happened here in the 19th century. Uh, we were, we were all beer drinkers. Beer is our traditional drink and part of our midsummer festivities. But then the Russian government, Russian imperial government introduced vodka in Latvia and actively pushed it. So that, you know, everyone would get addicted to alcohol, thus would be addicted to vodka, which they hadn't been used to at all, 
and then thus would be easily more easily controllable. Exactly the same, except with Native Americans, they had no alcohol prior to European contact. And so once Europeans show up, initially they're trading and doing very well, and I'm not to say that all traders were out to get them, but eventually over time they found out that people would literally trade anything for mouthfuls of strong drink, especially brandy or whiskey or anything strong. Rum was a huge one. And so since they had zero tolerance, you know, you're going from beer to vodka, which is much higher alcohol content, but they're going from water to alcohol. And it absolutely destroyed their entire culture just because they became all alcoholics. Not, not, I'm not going to say all because obviously some did not, but a huge, huge majority of people, even to this day, have alcoholism that runs rampant in their families and in their tribes. Yeah, we, we, we are, we are to be thanked here because in Latvia and Lithuania, we had these temperance movements, which were created actually by kind of Lutheran, Lutheran priests who kind of fought against this influence here. But yeah, this, this is the first of similarities that we actually think about because you know what? We are, our people are in two opposite sides of the planet Earth, but it feels very similar. Like, also, also at, at one point, at least over here, what I wanted to mention before is the fact that for a long, long period of time, I'm, I'm like, we were serfs. We obviously were serfs. And for a long period of time, um, all the local conquering Germans and Russians thought that, hey, well, these subhumans, uh, they literally used to trade uh, Latvian, Latvian, Lithuanian, Estonian farmers away for a fancy pipe or for a fancy bottle of gin or for something like that. We were traded away because... Uh, if you're being a serf, yeah, we we, we were used to... We, it's like basically slavery, except... Uh, I don't know. The difference was, technically, we, we were tied to the land, but in practice, we were sold and bought all the time. And gifted away as well. And um, also, they thought, hey, wh why do we need to give these people education? They are, Before we came in, they were violent barbarians, and the only thing they used to do was uh, kill each other and be these very violent, terrible people. Because Europeans never did that to one another. Yeah, this this is what happened here, and then the, so that was that was kind of the message that was pushed by the Crusaders, because uh, we're bringing them culture and civilization. Except the fact that my ancestors used to, you know, we we had metal armor and the same technology level as the Europeans, because we had raided the Vikings and everyone, and we had trade networks with Byzantium. Um, yeah, so I don't know. This is there. There's this myth about you know, uh, there is this myth that you know there's this noble savage stereotype, which sometimes can be nice, but another other times like it starts from Tacitus already. But there there's always this thing that people in civilized so-called civilized world in the West like to think about all these kind of both my ancestors and Native Americans and all these savage cultures. At one point, there's this noble savage, but if you're a savage, then you're someone who needs to be enlightened and civilized for some reason. Even though, uh, even though I firmly believe that, that that there were a lot of lot of aspects uh, where where kind of the, these tribal cultures are way more sophisticated than than the 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 dominant colonial cultures at the time. 
I mean, they definitely were. As far as I know, uh, all the United States of America, as, as the Federation itself, it was taken from the Iroquois. As, as far as I've I've read and listened, there was a strong influence. Not to say they definitely pulled influences from Britain and from ancient Greece as well, but the Iroquois are six different nations, six different tribes, and they form a confederacy. So still, you got the word federation in there too, but it's a lot more loosely knit, and they would. Have people that were appointed by women. The women were actually the ones that got to appoint the representatives on the Grand Council. And so it's a matrilineal society, which is totally different than our European way of thinking. So you've got that. But they would get together and do consensus building and vote on things together as six nations. And so they had a working democracy by the time the Europeans got there. And it was probably in place for hundreds of years before Europeans even arrived. So they definitely already had a sophisticated system of government with checks and balances. Uh, people could be removed from office, impeached by the women. There were certain rules and etiquette in debates. And Europeans came in, and when they heard them speak, even though they didn't understand the language, they could tell that their oratory meter was something that was just left them in awe. Thing, but I want to ask you right now because we still kind of in Latvia and Lithuania and Estonia too, because all, all the Baltic nations are tied together basically. And yeah, like I mentioned previously when we were just chatting, uh, Latvians and Lithuanians and, and Estonians as an identity, it's it's born like recently. Previously, there were just tribes with similar characteristics. It's it's a kind of a, a new thing, but we still kind of are like our our very old, our oldest our oldest tradition, the midsummer festivities, the Yaani, which is basically a fertility festival dedicated to having sex, eating cheese, and drinking beer, is the biggest national holiday in Latvia. It's, that sounds like almost every modern American holiday, but I digress. No, no, no. This is this is a national. We 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 have we dress up in our like the traditional outfits, and and then we we sing folk songs, and we have a bunch of traditions there, and that's a tradition which you know seven hundred years of German Christianization and then Soviet era atheism, it, they just couldn't eliminate it because that's the number one. It's bigger than Christmas. Okay, <laughs> it's I, I don't know if I could compare it culturally. It's something like Thanksgiving. Even though we don't celebrate Thanksgiving here, and I, I, I think you might have some things to say about Thanksgiving on your own, but it's it's one of these festivities that we we kind of hold dear. And uh, over here in Latvia, we have like four regional districts where four four tribes used to live, and each of them have their own like national garb, and it's kind of important for people to preserve their region's national garb and they 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 all sew their outfits and everything and like i said latvia is mostly forest i mean i live in my capital my, my capital alone has seven forests within like 20 minutes drive with from center and when i walk home i i see hedgehogs crossing the street and i've seen foxes and wild boars wild boars are actually a problem they run into like the the territory the urban territories and this is my capital so I don't know. We have this strong connection with with nature, and we we preserve these paganistic things because that's that's a part of who we are. And I just when when I think about how this connects with things, um, I I just like to ask you how it's like to be an Iroquois in modern day America. How do these people feel today? I mean, we have our own country. We're lucky like this. We get to preserve our traditions. We on the state level. We we, are, we have our own lands, we preserve our traditions and everything, but 
in a conversation I had on PDRP with uh, with a with a with a friend of mine, Stephanie, uh, she told me that only about two or three percent of uh, United States citizens are Native Americans. How do these people preserve their traditions? Because it it just seems uh, well. If I was because uh, you know, then Carlin has this saying that before you judge a man, you have to walk a mile in his moccasins. And I just would like to understand, you know, we have our own country. We're really, really happy for having our own country, finally. But how, how do these people preserve their own culture, their own traditions? Because for us, it's extremely, extremely important that we have all these cultural fests and that we preserve our pagan traditions and our tribal identities. And how do these people do that? It really is amazing because the Iroquois survived for roughly 200 years from European contact until they were finally... I don't even want to use the word subjugated. The Iroquois were technically never conquered, but they pretty much had to sign a piece of paper saying that they were relegated to these reservations. But it's been another 200 years since, and they've really gone through the ringer. A lot of the things you hear about in the communist system, uh, sending them to forced education, um, making sure that they can't speak their native language, they had to have their hair cut so that it wouldn't be long in the native style. They couldn't dress in their native way. They couldn't celebrate their native festivals or customs. They oh, would... man, I, 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 I can totally understand that, because that's what I've been talking on my show about my country. <laughs> yeah, so it's only in the last few decades, within the last two generations, I would say that it's finally been opened up where it's encouraged versus totally suppressed. And when I say suppressed, literally suppressed, they would take the children and send them to boarding schools to educate and civilize them. And initially, it was just to help them adapt to American society, but it quickly turned into horrible, stringent things. If they caught children trying to speak to one another in their native languages, they would wash their mouth out with soap and, you know, beat them if they tried to do anything that was in the native way that wasn't in the Anglo-American way. So it, it really, uh, it just makes me sick just reading about some of this stuff. And we're going to have to cover this on our show. We haven't even gotten to this time period yet. But it really is the same kind of almost gulag system that you saw. But how did they keep it? That's, that's what's even still perplexing me to this day. But I think that from what I've seen, uh, I have a lot of friends that are Central Asians. And they lived under the Soviet system too. And I find that it's very similar to the Native Americans that the more that you see the pressure pushed down on you, the more that you push back. That's uh, one of those Newton's laws, I believe, isn't it? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So the more that the government tried to push and force down on them, the more that they pushed back and in secret kept their traditions alive. Yeah, this is this is why, by the way, we, we are... Um, hmm. Latvians are not huge fans of uh, extremely controlling centralized government, even though we like our welfare, but we're very mistrustful because of this. Okay, th this might stay in. We have one Mongolian listener, well, two actually. We have an American who has married a Mongolian wife and lives in Mongolia, and he doesn't speak Russian at all, but his wife does, because she endured Soviet Union. And she always goes like, this was exactly like that here! So I get, like, people from Mongolia writing me messages with the text that this is the same thing. And, yeah, I, with this note, if, if any of my listeners are Native American, please do write in, because this is extremely interesting for me. But, yeah, this is kind of, a, this is kind of how it goes, because, I don't know, when you have a tribal identity, 
then you're more reliant, in my opinion, on your community to help you. You're like mistrustful of any centralized government by default, as far as I see it, because your community is like your close. You have a tribe. That's how I explain to people what having a tribe means. Because uh, I feel like I have a tribe. I'm a Koronian. I'm, I'm one of those crazy guys from Kurland. Uh, th th that's what I come from. Litigalians and Semigalians, those other Latvians, they're, they're like me, but they're not exactly me. But the thing is, there's this tribe loyalty thing, and when, when you're used to, historically, that your commune is your best friend, and that, you're, that you have this identity of your close-knit members around you helping you, it's kind of it's kind of a thing. I don't know. Uh, families and and like uh, neighborhood communes, they're, they're somewhat similar, but they don't explain this quite a lot. I think. I don't know. How would you explain what having a tribe means to uh, listeners who probably don't have a tribe? I I guess I'm not one to very good speak on it since I don't have a tribe. I guess I could say I have a clan. I have my immediate family. I have my my immediate small church community that we worship with. If that was taken away from me, it would be horrible. But uh, Native Americans, on these reservations, they tend to be very small. You know, you said that Latvians number about two million. Well, on these reservations, you could have just a few thousand people. So everyone literally knows everyone else. Yeah, this is... Well, that's kind of kind of the thing. You, This is, this is what happens naturally. I mean... Because uh, when the Soviet government, this extremely centralized government and this massive bureaucracy tried to push down on us, the natural reaction there was just, you know, to, to find people whom you can trust. And this, the people that, whom you can trust, that's an extremely important thing, I, I believe. Because I, I, I mentioned this on one of the PDRPs, uh, which I made previously, but that's also one of my views that it's much better to rely on, on, much better to think about the benefits of your close, close-knit community and, and like close people around you rather than, rather than allowing the central government to decide for you. That's, that's what I believe in at least. Most definitely when, when there's a disaster here in our communities, it's the neighbors that will help you immediately. Or you can sit around and wait for the government to show up, which may be a few days, a few weeks, and who knows if they'll even help you. But it's your neighbors, it's your community that will come to your rescue if they see your, your house flooded or if they see some kind of crisis that yeah, your family's in. I think that's that's important thing, and this is this is one of the good parts of, of the tribe. And that's, that's definitely how the Iroquois operated also, and it, it ended up being to their detriment initially because they cared for everyone in the community. And initially they lived in what were called these long houses, and you would have whole extended families living in this giant house together. But what the problem was, once these European diseases came in and they didn't fully understand what was going on, they would take care of one another, and everybody would pitch in to take care of the sick family member. But these diseases just spread so rapidly because everybody was in close quarters and everybody was taking care of the sick. Versus today, if somebody had a deadly disease, we'd quarantine them in a hospital and put on plastic suits. They didn't have that benefit. Mm. One of the interesting things, by the way, that, in, that really struck me is that, you know, uh, can you please talk about some of the really prominent myths of, of uh, Iroquois? 
I hope I pronounced that correctly too, because uh, dear listeners, I have zero information about this. This there's different pronunciations, and actually, that's not even the term they call themselves. That's the term that the French gave them, which means black snakes. Their actual oh. name they call themselves my kind of people. I see. Yes, well, that was what the French called them. So the French called them the Iroquois, and then in English it kind of changed to Iroquois. But they call themselves the Haudenosaunee or Haudenosaunee, depending on which nation. Again, there's six different nations, so you got slightly different pronunciations. So their most famous story that they tell is kind of like their origin story of how their confederation formed. And it talks about this refugee coming down from Canada belonging to the Huron people. And at the time, all these different Iroquois tribes are killing each other. They're raiding and kidnapping people. And there's even cannibalism going on. And this person shows up and they call him the peacemaker. They consider him so holy and respectful that they won't even pronounce his name. So I'm not even going to pronounce his name because it's a hard name to pronounce. But they viewed him as like this messianic kind of person. They said that he was born of a virgin and he showed up to them on a stone canoe. And it, it very much parallels. And a lot of people say that they may have borrowed this from Christianity. Uh, who knows where it came from first, but the, the Confederacy definitely predates European contact. But he comes together and through his oratory skills and performing miracles and performing signs, he ends up uniting these five nations together. A sixth nation joins later. But they call it the Great Law of Peace, and it's kind of like this gospel going around to treat everybody well and to forgive one another and to listen to your elders and listen to your women. So that's the main story that talks about how everything came together. And they have a lot of other fun stories on the side, but that that's their history. Oh, I don't know. I used to... I used to kind of in my childhood, I had this huge storybook, which was called, if I remember correctly, the myths and legends of cunning people from the world. It's like uh, the sneaky stereotypes. You know, usually you get uh, all the all the folk folk tales about like strong, you know, these strong men who do things. My people, Coronians, which lived on the on the westernmost part of Latvia. They, they're like the seafaring people. They're like, essentially, think Vikings. Something like that, okay? So our studies are all about um, riding to the sea, looking... <clears throat> uh, one of the most famous, one of the famous folktales of Coronians is the fact, is, is a study where when a person r- rides north in his boat with his pals to steal the best wife from, from the Northmen. Essentially, how he goes to Sweden, captures a, captures his wife, and then gets back home. And uh, I don't know. I I believe that this is you know the the your your folk tales kind of reveal your surroundings and your myths and stuff. And I don't know. Uh, are there any any stories like such which kind of kind of are influenced by by the fact where Iroquois were were located? Yes, uh, a lot of their stories, the majority of them, actually deal with animals. And if I was to parallel them, did you ever grow up reading Aesop's Fables, the famous Greek storyteller? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a lot of them deal with animals. And usually there's a moral in it. Like, there's one tricky animal or there's one mean animal in there, and they'll do something and it'll backfire on themselves. And so it's to teach the children a story. And a lot of the stereotypes that we see in in our culture, 
you know, the fox is the trickster and the bear is the big, fat, stupid one. And the deer is the very shy one. And the rabbit is the one that doesn't know any better. So they all kind of play a role, but a lot of them are... Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of the same here, by the way. Because uh, Bear, bear, however, is not... He's big, but in our, in our folktales... Fox is the fox is the sly one, yes, and everything's like like bear gets respect here because that's the biggest animal that we had. Yeah, my favorite story regarding bear and fox is so a lot of these stories also have origin stories of why do the animals look the way they do, and the story starts out where the bear has a big, beautiful, bushy tail, and he sees the fox fishing out on the ice one day, and the fox is catching a bunch of fish, and the bear says, "Teach me how to fish that too." And the fox says, okay, what you need to do is sit down and put your tail in and the fish will come up. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. To bite it. So sit down and wait a while. Don't move and don't even think. And I'll tell you when to pull it up. And the fox sits there and laughs and the fox goes home. And he doesn't think that the bear would be that stupid. But the fox comes back the next day and the bear is still sitting there covered in snow. And the fox says... Now, bear, now, pull your tail up. And the bear goes, huh? And the bear pulls up and his tail is chopped off. And that's why bears hate foxes and why bears don't have long tails. And, and this, this is where I ring my bell about my, my silly education. Um, yeah, this is, this is the kind of the example of the myth, mythical, mythical way of looking at the world. Right now we have this scientific way of looking at the world, but this isn't a great example of the old mythical reasoning. It is so because, you know, people have always wanted to explain the world around them. You know, we, we, have, we have this difference between, like, there are folk tales, like fairy tales, and then there are uh, something called teikas. Uh, teikas are like more like myths. Not exactly, but like myths that explain something. And this is an example of those, and this is kind of an interesting way. Because over here, and I want to compare this, over here the explanation of uh, why Bear doesn't have a large tail mind you, is uh, because, because uh, you know, while, while, while the bear was sleeping, a fox kind of decided to trick the bear, and, uh, she, and the fox kind of bit the, the bear's tail off and put it in front of him and, and told the bear it was a snake so that the bear would run off and the fox would get the honey the bear was guarding. <laughs> So in the, in both cultures, all the way across the world, the fox is the reason that the bear doesn't have a tail. Yeah, and it's interesting because the fox is the sneaky, sneaky one. Yes, but it, just it's the fact that it's the same animal. Yeah, and and this this is this is what surprises me. And I know this is not like Iroquois related, but um, look, uh, have you heard like 
standard werewolf legends. Like, vampires come from Transylvania. You know that. It's, it's their fault, right? Dracula and everything. See, werewolves come from Latvia and Lithuania. The, the, we are prime werewolf country. We are the place where you can shoot them with silver bullets. We're the place where people can shift over them. Like, if you imagine your very default standard werewolf tale, Baltics is where it comes from. Eastern Europe. I'm not saying exactly my country, but Eastern European forests, because we are, we're a huge forest, okay? This is, see, if you look at the map of the Mongol conquests, you can see that they took over all the Russian steppes, and like every steppe place, but if you look at the border where they stopped, that's where the big forests start. And in like Roman era, Teutoburg Forest in Germany was like, that was the western border of the great big forest that covered all of the situation here. Because the Romans marched in one day and then they didn't march out. Yeah, well now now Germany has lost its forests, but Eastern Europe has like kept its forestry and everything. So we're prime werewolf country. We are the place from where the legend, legends kind of originate. The, the big forest of Eastern Europe, essentially. And as we're the most forested around, well, we kind of take pride in this. And uh, I know, I know it's not Iroquois, but this is why I have to say thank you to Astonishing Legends podcast. They spoke about Navajo, uh, Navajo skinwalkers. And I, and I listened to Navajo. Navajo, yes, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I, I didn't mean to be a wet blank. No, no, it's fine, it's fine. If I just, uh, I'm not even pretending and can pronounce these names correctly. I, I doubt, I doubt they can say Coronian. Okay, Coronian is kind of simple, but, but that's the English, English version of this, this, this word, but, um, I was personally very surprised when I found out that these these skinwalker legends were very much like our own werewolf werewolf tales. Uh, people who were the tribe's healers they they acquire these powers and they go to the forest where they can they they can then shapeshift, and that surprised me and that made me think a lot because th- there is something I I. I I think that there's something like in the base of, of all of this, and that I think it's kind of this this being attached to nature and understanding how nature works. Maybe it's because uh, maybe it's because Native Americans and we over here in the Baltics kind of shared the same ecosystem around us. I mean, we had bears, foxes, lots of forests. We didn't have prairie though. We didn't have prairies. That that's that's one thing that we didn't have. But it it, it seemed kind of weird to me because you know we're on the other side of the planet earth and we have basically the same tale we just name it differently it's kind of it's kind of kind of crazy here and uh that's why i read about all the situation but i don't know uh, when i when i when i think about iroquois specifically uh for some reason i i i just reread the soviet era literature on uh, Native Americans, and it was a weird part, uh, because uh, I, I I think about how Soviet propaganda worked through children's books or something, and one of my favorite children's books was a book about like uh, two little kids are pretending to be Native Americans and they're dressing up, and the book also included all the instructions how to build a wigwam or whatever. It was very generic or something. But then I reread some of the books and I found out that in Soviet era books, uh, and also kind of in my childhood I remember this. See, when when over here in Eastern Europe in the post-Soviet lands we played cowboys and Indians, the cowboys were the bad guys. 
I'm not sure it's like that everywhere else, but... Uh, Predominantly... Nowadays, everything's politically correct, so children aren't even allowed to play cowboys and Indians anymore because that's very insensitive. But uh, generally speaking, the cowboys were seen as the good guys. Oh, no, not here. No, I'm saying well, because, here <laughs> in America. Yeah, this is because this, 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 is, this is one of the things that I find interesting because I grew up in a society where I was... Uh, Okay, I, I grew up in a kind of independent Latvia, but you know all the books in my childhood were were made in Soviet era. So in all of these all of these books, I was told that <clears throat> evil capitalist uh, evil capitalist cowboys are taking away proud Indian land. Soviet Union was, and I'm sorry that I'm using the term Indian. That, that's how it was in the Soviet books. So I'm just saying this. But yeah, over here it was crazy because. For some reason, Soviet Union was obsessed with Native Americans and their culture. It was like... And I found out why. Because, you know, you, you had to show politically that you don't... You are against the United States and everything they stand for. But you have to find a way how to be friendly. So, Native Americans were the guys that Soviet Union picked out as their number one people in the United States of America. It's like we we don't we don't hate the United States of America. We like Native Americans. They're good. Everyone else, evil capitalist pigs. Which is funny because it wasn't the cowboys that were causing the Indians all this trouble. It was the American government. Okay, it was, it was the American Wild West to me then, because I don't know. I honestly don't know. I. I well, there I was definitely knowledge. there was definitely conflict between ranchers and Native Americans, but. Predominantly, it was it was not rogue cowboys going out and killing the Western tribes. It was the American government sending out their armies and forcing people to give up their weapons. If you've ever heard of the massacre at Wounded Knee, that's what it was. They were showing up to try and take the guns away from the natives. Over here in the EU, we think you're all gun-crazy maniacs anyway, so it doesn't change anything. Well, I, I am, so there's no problem admitting that. So, it was the American government, long and short of it, that was predominantly encouraging or carrying out blatantly these forced removals, these massacres, these policies. Maybe it was individual agencies that were doing it, but it was with the American government's backing and the American government's money that was funneling it all. Yeah, I, see, I, I, have this, I have this really huge question. I mean, one thing that I don't get is really that I was surprised, like, and this is my cultural experience with, with you Americans. I was, when, I, when, when people think of America over here in Latvia, or in Eastern Europe in general, we, we're used to these tiny countries where everyone's, like, very close to each other. We're not used to your distances. And when we, we know that the United States has 300 million people living in there. We know that. Except that traditional thought in Latvia and in European countries is that, you know, 300 million? Yeah, it must be spread about evenly throughout the states. My greatest shock when I found out, uh, my greatest shock and like culture shock moment about the United States of America happened at the moment when I found out that there's this state of Wyoming, which is in the side of, uh, in the size of like 15 Latvias with a population of like Riga. Yeah, it's about, I think Wyoming is about 600,000, maybe a little less. Yeah, that's crazy. Riga has 750,000 people living in it. 
and the state is the size of 15 Latvias. 15! And that just blew my mind. It's what we call flyover country. Oh boy. Yeah, but this is this is this is what happens here and and then a logical question followed. Why did you even had to throw out someone from their lands if you have like so much free land? Uncontested I I I I don't even know how these people live in Wyoming. I th there must be plenty of ground where to hunt buffaloes or whatever. Why did this even happen? Well, the problem was the problem was a thing called railroads. So the the American buffalo, or also known as the bison, they would roam. It's not like they would stay in one spot because they ate grass, and so they constantly have to be on the move. And in the winter and summer, they'd travel all up and down the continent. So the American government, the real issue was in 1849, they found gold in California. And so everybody wanted to move to California because they thought that they could become rich and find gold. It didn't really work out, but everybody moved to California, and so they needed to get there quick. And so they kind of just skipped all of this middle America, and that's why the whole eastern U.S. and the whole western U.S. have all these people, and the middle has mostly nothing. But to get people there, they needed to build the railroad. And the problem with bison is they don't stop and look for the train. And so the American government and the railroad companies were in bed together, and they decided that they needed to kill off all of these buffalo. Wow. And so this was the main food supply for all of the Plains Indians, or Native Americans. Again, Native Americans are different all across the America because it's totally different. A Northeastern Iroquois is totally different from a Plains Sioux, who is totally different from a Southwest Navajo. Iroquois is... Wait, wait, uh, and so, a moment of explaining here. Um, over here in Latvia, we had like three three main groups. We had Coronians, who were the seafaring sea seafaring tribe. Then we had the Semigallians, who were basically agrarian types. Then we had the Letigallians, who were the trading types, like the guys who drove away. Can you please, in short, explain to me what's the difference between Iroquois, Navajo, and 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 the Sioux? They are completely different. To lump all of Native Americans together is... Yeah, that's to a mistake totally that we make here often, so, you know. Yeah, so in in Europe, we have several language families, correct? We have the Indo-European language family, which is the big one. And that is broken down. You have the Slavic languages, the Germanic languages, the Romantic languages, the Baltic languages, and many other subsets. That's Those are all little groups of the Indo-European language family. And even Hindi and Urdu are in that category. But then you go to the Finns or the Turks, and those are totally different languages. The weirdest part families. is that, like, if you look at the map, Finns and Hungarians share the same language family, which is Finno-Hogrek. And, yes. and it's so still, in it's North America, like there are huge. No, it's it's. We still don't understand why, like Finns, Estonians, and Hungarians, which are like down there, they share the same language family. But everyone's like, okay, okay. So the Iroquois are of the Iroquoian language family, and that predominantly is in the northeast and down into the east coast of North America. Then you have Algonquin language families, which are northern Canada, and they also come down on the east coast. Then you have 
Siouan language families, which everybody knows the Sioux. Those are the teepee-dwelling, buffalo-hunting, horse-riding Native Americans that you see in all the okay, Western Okay, I'll, I'll just quickly explain this to our, to our listeners here. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a professional philosopher with a master's degree. I can explain this easily. <clears throat> see, the thing is, you might not understand why language families are very, very important, but if you could... But the basic story is, you can only think in a language... You can either think, like, mathematically, which doesn't use language, that's why math works for everyone. That's why math works everywhere at the same time, okay? Because, you know, you can... If you have a concept for a number and concept for addition, you can represent this mathematical number. That, that's one way of thinking. So when you think about maths, or math, uh, depending on which English you use, again, language, then you can think in math the same way. That's why math also kind of considers a language. But your everyday thoughts are in a certain language. And, for example, Russians have three words for blue. That also means that they can see more shades of blue than you people whose native language is English. That is a scientifically proven fact. Language families are a big deal because language essentially determines your vo your basic worldview. Language determines what you can see, what how you think, and how you perceive things to be. Okay? Language is extremely, extremely important. So, the fact that they are all in different language groups doesn't mean that they're just, you know, from different ethnic origins. It means that their worldview in general is drastically different. Completely. And so you have you have dozens of language families throughout North America, and then you have the languages in these language families. So just because somebody speaks an Iroquoian language, Kristaps, if you speak Latvian and I speak English, that's the same language family. We should be able to understand each other perfectly, right? Oh, boy. We technically... Yeah, technically, it, it we do, but... <laughs> no, but I, I, I get it. I get it, because we all we both speak Indo-European languages, but... the. There was this great research done about the fact that, you know, Indo-European languages in general use this subject-verb constructions. I mean, I use something, like, we, we use the same logical construct, like, uh, there's this concept for I using something that is in a color or something of that sort. A language from completely different language family, like, not Indo-European, the very structure, how their language is built might not include the word I at all. It might describe the word it might describe the same action from a completely different perspective. And I I've I've studied, by the way, this in university because this is extremely this is extremely important, but I did not know that, you know, all the Native Americans had completely different language families. It's crazy. It just blows my mind, by the way. <laughs> so all these different people had totally different cultures, and that's why a lot of people think that they were united. No, a lot of them came into conflict with one another because language and culture and worldview was different. Well, we had we had the same thing here, by the way, in, in the Baltics. Because one of the reasons why historians state that... Why, why did the Baltic Crusades succeed? Because there were a few battles where, like, Baltic tribes... We didn't have the only thing that we did. We had metal. We had the same like metal armor, metal weapons. What we didn't have was stone buildings. We didn't have stone fortifications. We built everything from wood because 
you know, if your country is by at that point like 75, even more like 80% forests, then wood is the most common material, so you build everything out of wood. And we don't have any stone quarries here in Latvia. So we weren't used to building buildings from, from stone. We, we used to have wood, wooden buildings all around. So that was the only technological advantage that the Crusaders had. And in the battles that, in the battles where the ancient Baltic tribes actually united, we, we just kicked the Crusaders' ass. The biggest problem about, you know, us being dominated and conquered by the Germanic Crusaders and by the West was the fact that we hated each other's guts, like a lot. And we were traditional rivals over here. That's one of the attributed elements. It's just, it's not like they were stronger than us. They, they didn't have, <clears throat> like, like uh, some of my history teachers like to say, uh, like to tell me, well, they were just less honorable than us. They didn't understand the concept of honor that well. The scumbags. <laughs> it's a joke, of course, but but yeah, that's that's one of the reasons. Because uh, th- th- this is also kind of uh, kind of a f- I-, I bet it would be offensive to uh, Native American as well when when you kind of put them all into just this simple group because you have these trouble with everything and the yeah the Iroquois were very advanced at warfare too and. You, you're aware that the Vikings came to North America 500 years before yeah, Columbus, right? Yeah, of course I do. And and then they were promptly and, and they were promptly kicked out of North Americas, and that's yes. like insane because they yes. were Vikings. At that point, the Vikings were um, raiding everyone in the known world, and they couldn't do anything about it. Then, then how was it? Uh, Leif Eriksson and er- Eric the Red they formed colonies in North America. And Native Americans promptly murdered them all for being assholes, which they were. And yes. Uh, it was really the European diseases that did the Native Americans in. If if it wasn't for the huge plagues coming through and killing up to 90% of the population over time, there's no way that Europeans would have ever had the foothold that they have today. The, the Iroquois built, they called them castles, uh, same for what you say for the ancient uh, ancient Baltic peoples. They would build these castles out of wood. And they had armor also. They didn't have metal, but they would have wooden armor. And you'd never see this in films or in uh, paintings because as soon as they came into contact with Europeans that had guns, they said, well, this wooden armor is completely useless. Let's just run around with our shirts off and paint ourselves. But before that, the wooden armor actually was very good for hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, and this, and this is one of the, one of the stereotypes I'd like like to speak about is this 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 idea that just because just because these people lived in a diff- completely different society from Western Europe, like my ancestors did it, the Native Americans did it, just because this society was radically different from Western society, and you know, in a lot of ways, more progressive at the time, than the society who conquered them. Because honestly, we ancient Balts had no gender inequality, for example. It's like... For example. Exactly. Like, it's like, everyone's equal, like, everyone has a voice. Maybe not equal, because you, you listen to your elders or something, but just because it was a different culture, at that point in history, it was the reason for your culture to be deemed wrong and terrible. And just because the the conquerors from the West didn't understand you, then they deem you to be unworthy and subhuman. 
even though this is completely untrue in many cases, and and at least in Eastern European case, I mean, the word slave comes from the word Slav, and and that's that's a crazy insult here, but in in the weird in the weirdest sense ever, um, you know what? Uh, in Russian, the Slav comes from the word Slava, which means glory. And this is yes, exactly. Slava. And the word and the term Bal. I mean, and this might this might be crazy, but I've I've mentioned it somewhere. But uh, the word Balts, like Balts, which which describes Latvians, Latvians, Lithuanians. Estonians are Estonians are Balts geographically, not not ethnically. But Balts is also the name for the color white. So we're the white people. We're the whitest of the white people. <laughs> and the thing is, when 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 I mention this to someone on the internet, they go like crazy. But uh, but but that's like my ancestor tribes understood they were different tribes and they were different cultures but they were united by this common like language because they could they could understand each other i don't know how to explain this they could understand each other but they didn't speak the same language they speak they spoke close languages to each other but they were culturally different and they they used the term bolts to describe the commonality of all these tribes and when I try to understand, when I try to say that, yeah, my tri- my tribe, like my ancient people, called themselves the white people, that causes such an outrage these days. Well, it's your fault for being so privileged. Oh my! Yes, yes, the privilege of not getting education in our own country, like since the Ninths. It- everything was a okay until everything was a okay until uh, the eleventh century. So from 11th century till the 20th century, and then in the in the, and then most of the part of the 20th century, this is like crazy. But yeah, this what is. Do you complain? Yeah, it's what? only 900 years. What are you complaining about? Ah, well, technically, it, it, it's just crazy, man. But, but yeah, this this just kind of makes you think, and and right now, well, I don't know. The the weirdest part is that at least I'm, I'm I want I want to settle some some stereotypes that we here in Europe have about Native Americans. Like, about these casinos and Native Americans. Like, in a weird way, for some reason, Native Americans are associated with all the cool stuff, like canoeing and horse riding and, and, and like, you know, throwing tomahawks and, and you know, all, all this cool stuff. And, uh, that is all cool stuff. Yeah, but for some reason, we we have a stereotype that every every tribe now has an, a casino in their land. What's well, what's with not that? Not everyone does. <laughs> but uh, it just it just, a, it just number, a funny side note funny here. Side okay, a good number of them do. Fortunately, I mean, I don't want to get into politics of casinos, whether they're good or bad. I don't think that gambling helps anybody except the people taking the money. Uh, but they realized that all right, this is our sovereign land. And we can do with it what we want. And these white people have been oppressing us for so long. And, all right, in the state of New York, casinos aren't allowed. Well, hey, let's build some casinos and let's take these white people's money and let's reinvest it in our own nation. And so... I just I just, I, I, I just wish they would stop saying that white people oppressed them because then I feel like my people have oppressed your people and then it's bad. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. It, I'm, it, sorry. It, 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 I'm sorry. The, the American government has oppressed us. We know it's true. We know that all of those Latvians have put, in the, put their foot right on the neck 
of every single Native American. All those terrible Latvians and Lithuanians, yes. Um, it's very funny. We have actually have a town near where I live called Livonia, and it's built on an ancient uh, Seneca Iroquois village. Oh boy, Livonia! Yes. Wow. Yes, Livonia. So, up and up until this week, I didn't even know that Livonia was referring to the ancient Baltic region. So, there's my connection. Oh, it's amazing, man. But yeah, we this this I I, I would like to wrap this whole up thing, but wow. I have learned a lot about uh, your culture and about all the Native Americans, and there's a lot in common if you think about it. I mean, I'm sad to say this, but um, the Westerners oppress everyone equally, so to speak. Well, it again, speaking as a white person, and I, I'm sorry for I'm I'm probably going to put my boot and foot in my mouth right now. Yes. It is true that Western societies have taken care, taken advantage of less fortunate peoples, Africans, Native Americans, Asians. Uh, but this is the story of human history where it's one people that have the upper hand that are oppressing other people. Oh, man, you, I'm, you look I'm not saying that we were the good guys. Come on. Before, no, before the Westerners were oppressing us, we were raiding their coasts. Yes. And the, the Britons... And the Anglo-Saxons had to deal with the Romans, enslaving them. It's the story of history. It's not justifying it. It's all absolutely evil and horrible. And we should learn from it. But to say that it was one particular group that was doing it and nobody else, yeah, everybody was doing it. Yeah, that's, that's, it's, that's, the, biggest, it's bad. that's the biggest problem. And you know what? Do you know what I want to, like, especially in my part over here, because we have, like, Latvian ultranationalists, do you want to say to them? Just because you were oppressed sometime, sometime before uh, in history doesn't mean you have the right to oppress people right now. That's another thing. And that's, that's mostly important for our people here in Eastern Europe because um, this whole situation is the reasons why, uh, sadly, I have to say very sadly, Eastern Europe is one of the least tolerant places you, you could find, which is, which is terribly sad, at least, in my opinion. Then again, then again... Um, and this is kind of a small rant, but over here, they're like the percentage of the people who actually know English and can communicate with people from other countries is very low. And I'm and I'm lucky to be able to speak with Americans. I mean, it's crazy. When when I was just growing up, it was like impossible for me even to think about such an idea. But again, this is the stereotype of dehumanization. And everything. It's just that. When you truly speak with someone, and then then you can kind of understand these other people, and I and I think it's all about all about this this fact that you know care about your community, but understand that these other guys, at least what what I can learn from all this conversation is that I have my community, you have your community, but if we can understand the fact that you know we are all people from communities in the world, just human, and we like our communities and stuff, that we can like be friendly or something. We can understand each other. We, we we can speak the same language, not just English, but just we can understand each other better, Better, I think. Uh, do you have any final words for this, Andrew? You, you can you can just plug your show or, or speak whatever. Please do. Uh, I, think that, I think that we just spent an hour plugging my show, so... But if you guys want to, please check out Iroquois History and Legends. You can find us on any podcasting app. And I forgive Kristaps for not knowing how to spell it, but I'll do it real quick. I-R-O-Q-U-O-I-S. It's U-N-O. Okay. 
It's gonna be great. Okay, uh, thank you, Andrew, and please, everyone, go visit Iroquois Myths and Legends. I know I'll be I'll be binge listening to the uh, I'll be binge listening to you, Andrew. So it's gonna be great. And yeah, it's a f this was a philosophical discussion, but I'm I'm very happy we did this. And до свидания, товарищи. А, спасибо большое. Соболу. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.